Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you right now for our praise band. I just thank you, Lord, that they are wonderful. They are fragile people just like the rest of us, and yet they are faithful to be here, to do their practices, to be here every time, to, to sustain us in worship. It's just remarkable how many times I come in here, Lord, wanting to hear a good word, but I'm lifted up in advance just simply by the praise that I hear through them. I know that Proclaim is, is, is well-named. They do proclaim your goodness, Lord. So I thank you for their service, and I pray that what I have to say tonight would be of, of some benefit to someone. I know it's, it's been a treasure to me to, to have it brought to my mind and for me to study. So I, I pray that uh, it will be of benefit tonight, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I want to thank all of the young people that are here tonight. And I have to tell you a little bit about myself when I was growing up. I grew up in, a, in, in the Methodist church. And my parents were good God-fearing people. My dad was like superintendent of education or something in the church. He had some high position. And my mom was the only Sunday school teacher that I had until I got to junior high school, and then it got too much, and she just kind of stayed back where she was. And I went on with my rowdy, rowdy friends on to upper grades. I had to come to church. I, I say I had to. Yeah, I did. I had to come to church on Sunday morning. That was expected. The only way you got out of church coming on Sunday morning was you had to be like, you know, in the ICU or something. So I went, went to church on Sunday morning. Now, thankfully, I say thankfully because I didn't look forward to it. My dad did not require us to go to church on Sunday night. And you do remember when we had Sunday night services, right? We don't hear and thank you, Lord. Um, but except when we had a revival. Anybody ever been to a revival? That's, it's a wonderful thing, except if you're kids. You know, then then you I got to go back to church and it's at night and I'm tired and I'd rather not be here and I don't understand this man I don't know this man he's a stranger to me and he's getting kind of loud sometimes and he's expected the people for people to come down to this altar I I, I don't know why more so now than any other time but uh, that's what happens and then I was expected to be back on Wednesday oh and also on Sunday morning you had to be there for Sunday school too. And my dad being who he was and my mother being who she was, we had to be there early, oh boy. And uh, so that was part of it. And then on Wednesday night we had to go. And then when I was a youth, we had, mm, I guess, classes. We didn't have much in the way of activity. We didn't have a gym in this church. And we, you know, went and drank Kool-Aid. And that was about it after, after we had a little lesson. Thankfully, what we have here is we have small groups, which we did not. It was unknown in that time for kids to sit around and discuss with each other what their issues were. Oh, no. You know, they, they will learn what we teach them, and they should be able to repeat it back. But as far as having a small group and something of substance, we didn't have it. So when I got off into college and away from it, um, I thought that I had learned most everything I needed to know about Christianity. I, I really did think I knew most of it. 
I'd been in it all my life, and I didn't know much, quite honestly. I always had questions. And I, I, was, I had really, 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 really big questions. If Goliath was as big as he was, why was he not a pro wrestler? They, I, I mean, you know, if I had asked that question, they would have shouted me down. Now, you know, did the ark have rowboats on it, lifeboats? I never got to ask those questions. So my, my knowledge of the Bible and Scripture was, was very stunted. I didn't get to ask the right questions. Now, it's, it's good to be humorous. When you, when you give a talk, it's good to be humorous to begin with, and, and I don't have anything tonight except some things that I found on the Internet. So I'm, I'm just going to repeat these, okay? Y'all probably heard them. What kind of man was Boaz before he married? Anybody? Ruthless. He was ruthless. Yeah, he had no roots. What do they call pastors in Germany? German shepherds. Okay. Um, well, as I wonder about what kind of motor vehicle is in the Bible. I'm, I'm going to read it anyway, as goofy as it is. Jehovah drove Adam and Eve out of the garden in a fury. David's triumph was heard throughout the land, and the apostles were all in one accord. I'm sure you've heard that one. Okay, okay, that's that's enough. That's enough silliness. That's enough silliness. Okay, well, we are. Con Any comments, uh, suggestions, suggestions? Leave the jokes off. Okay, uh, we are continuing in the series, no matter what, and. I don't know what it is about me, but I, I see stories in Scripture and I hear ministers give them, and it seems like they're only striking the surface. And I'll give you a good example. And I, this is, I tell people all the time, I have no independent thoughts. I, I copy from people left and right. But we were involved in a series with another church. It was called The Prodigal Father. Have you ever heard about that or know that? It's about the story of the prodigal son. And it's a wonderful story, isn't it, about a young man that goes off and he spends his inheritance and leads a bad life and he's just not a good guy and he comes back home and his father forgives him and he gets some inheritance back and everything's good. But at the bottom of the story and what, why Jesus told the story, quite honestly, for the most part, was the fact that he was talking to the Pharisees. Now, he loved the Pharisees had to have loved the Pharisees, but he was there to make them change because the Pharisees had this notion that they obeyed all the laws. God loved them. They were very much like politicians of this day and time. They were very wealthy. They had substance. So it became the, the norm for people to look at the Pharisees and their wealth and say, God loves them. They say they're perfect. They seem to be perfect. In public, they seem to be perfect. They must be perfect because they are wealthy. And they they use that. They love that. They love that. You know the stories about, you know, they'd go to some special place in the synagogue, you know, and they would pray, and they'd be very vehement in their prayers, and then when they fasted, they'd look terrible. They'd put ashes on themselves. And they just, oh, they were so holy. They were so holy. So of any category of people that Jesus was the toughest on, 
It was the Pharisees because he loved them. Now, you say, well, he loved them? Well, he was always shooting them down, calling them vipers and all this kind of good stuff. Well, if you remember the story about the young, rich young ruler who came to Jesus and how can I inherit eternal life? And he said, give away everything you have. And the young man, you know, he walked away. He was very sorrowful when he walked away because he wasn't going to do that. And it says that Jesus loved him. He would not do what Jesus said, but Jesus loved him, which is just evidence of the fact that Jesus loves sinners. You know, the people who embrace Jesus easily, and uh, in Scripture, you see them, and I'm going to talk about an example tonight. Um, yeah, of course, of course, Jesus loved them, but they were easy to love. It's the people who were totally the opposite of what Jesus preached, love. Did the Pharisees love anybody? Only themselves and their families. They really didn't care. Now, the story about the, the rich man who goes uh, to hell, and there's a beggar, Lazarus, who's in Abraham's bosom, and he tries to get Abra uh, the, uh, ask Abraham if he would let the, the uh, beggar bring him a drop of water on, the, on his finger. It doesn't really, the Bible really doesn't say that the rich man was a bad man, but it doesn't say anything at all in there about the rich man sharing anything with the beggar. So there, there are many things you have to, in the Bible, you have to kind of get the gist of what's being said here. And I'm going to, in Luke chapter 7, I'm going to tell you a well-known story. And y'all are going to say, oh, here we go again. Chapter 7, verse 36, I believe it is, it started with. Yeah. Okay, first of all, it says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. Now, why would Jesus have dinner with him? Hmm. The Pharisees are the guys that said, what is he doing? He, he eats with sinners all the time. And yet the Pharisees invite him to eat with them, and he says, okay. Did they not get it? He eats with sinners, and he's eating with Pharisees but it just goes right over the head. So he had dinner with him. Does God ever use the things that evil people have for the benefit of good people? Absolutely. There's an example right there. You can say what you want to. Jesus has been traveling. He and his boys need to eat. Pharisees have come, said, come eat with us. Jesus is not afraid of them. He's probably telling these guys, just, just do like I do. So what does he do? He goes. So Jesus went to his house and sat down to eat. Now, we know this business about they probably reclined when they ate. They probably didn't sit. It says, when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. A what? Immoral woman? What does that mean? Well, you've heard Kenny talking about the uh, harlot named Rahab who hid the spies, Joshua's spies. You know, they're prostitutes. That's what they are. That's what they are. Now, a prostitute was in kind of a special category in that society. If a person in Jewish society had sinned, they could go and they could, by evidence of, of their repentance over their sin, they could go and have an animal sacrificed 
and go through the proper procedures at the temple. And people would see that, and they would say, oh, well, they've done something. I may or may not know what it is, but they've done something, but they've, they're doing the right thing. They, they're sacrificing an animal, and, and those animals cost a good bit because they had, they had to be without a blemish. And so they would go, and they would do that, and people would say, oh, well, you know, they're, they're a different person now. They're a better person, at least in quality. This woman had no way to do that. She has no, she can't go to the temple herself. And she has no man to represent her. I, you know, she's unattached to any one man. So she has no outward way to express repentance for her sin. Now, we have to be very careful, even in our society. I know, I know y'all wouldn't do this but I'm going to tell you about how I did it. When you see people come into a church, and this is supposed to be a place of safety, we should be able to look at people and welcome them in without reservation, without regard to their appearance, without regard to maybe their clumsy ways, their, uh, they don't have any manners, uh, whatever you want to say about them, they should be welcome here. Well, it's obvious by... The, the very idea that they knew she was a sinful woman, an immoral woman, excuse me, immoral woman. There was something about her. Maybe her style of dress. They may have seen her around the town. You know what I mean? They may know her by her reputation as to who she was. All right? Now, I myself, and I've told this story before. Now, whether it was in here or not, I don't know, but I've, I've told it. Joyce and I used to belong to a large church, and we were in the choir. We're, we're doing things right. We're good people, right? You know, I mean, to be in the praise band, to be in the choir, I mean, you've got to be dedicated. You're, you know, you're, you're not, you know, one of the lower echelon. You're kind of, you're on the stage. You're, you're doing good. Okay. Some of y'all are shaking your head. Well, anyhow, you know, and, and, and I have this, I, to this day, I still have this problem. I, I tend to make snap judgments about people. Well, we were going in the back door of the church, which was open for us. We had to be there at 745. So, that, see, that's, a, that's the level of our dedication. Have to be there at 745. We're going in the back door, and there's some young lady that walks up like she wants to go in the door. And she's wearing very dark makeup, a short skirt, you know, and without saying anything without really registering it too much of what is she about so we go in and we're we're in the choir and we we know what we're singing and we're there and then we stop in the midst of the program and they have these teenagers come out and they go through some routine and as part of the routine there were some characters playing demonic characters and this young girl was playing a part of a demonic character in this choir so this person that I was judging as being out of order in the wrong place, we don't need her here, was doing a very valuable thing for the kingdom of God. So we have to be very careful. But anyhow, these guys, these guys are using, used to making judgments. They, they go around telling people all the time, you're not doing that right. That's not right. That's, God is constantly mad at you about that. So they're accustomed to this. So everybody knew who this woman was. So they labeled her right away. Now, how did she get in there? I do not know. I do not know. 
this is an assembly of men, not just men, but Pharisees, good, good, good guys, you know. And they're going to have dinner. No women are welcome. Women did not meet, eat with the men. They just did not. But this lady gets in somehow, and they all look like, oh, there's this woman. But nobody has the nerve to say anything to her. I guess they're just flabbergasted. And it says, um, she knelt behind, it says, then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Now, there are different versions of this story told in the different Gospels, and I'll tell you a little bit about the difference in a moment. But the essential thing is that everybody recognized this woman was immoral, but there she is with Jesus. What does she want with Jesus? What do the Pharisees think about what she is doing there with Jesus? So she's weeping. And let me ask you, I've, I've got a question. I'm not expecting this. Is, these are rhetorical questions. But when somebody is repents about their sins and is very sorrowful about all that, you think they are oh, always capable of putting all of this in you know, very neat order, you know, come to the altar and say, Dear Lord, uh, I know that last Tuesday I did this, and I'm sorry for that, and that was, that was an abomination to you. And that, you know. No, not always, no. The fact that you're overwhelmed with sorrow can cause you to weep, not really know what to say. Does it really matter? God knows. And I'm going to ask the question, did Jesus know what was, what was up with this woman? You better believe it. You better believe it. And I'm going to show you in a minute exactly. So she's weeping at Jesus' feet. Her tears are falling on his feet, and she's wiping his, his feet with her hair. It says uh, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Well, Honestly, that's about all she could do. She's, she's not wanting to be too obtrusive in the presence of Jesus, and, and they're li likely to grab her up and throw her out if she goes too far. So she's doing the only thing she can. She's, she's sorrowful, she's weeping, and she's got this expensive perfume that she's putting on Jesus' feet. Okay? said, when the Pharisee who had invite her, invited him... Jesus saw this, he said to himself, to himself, he said, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. He said that to himself. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Jesus is saying, you don't have to tell me what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I've something to say to you. Jesus is about to talk to the Pharisees. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And Jesus told him this story, and this is a familiar story. A man found money, loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And this guy was pretty sharp, and he says... Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And I think he got it. I think he got it. 
Jesus said, that's right. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at the woman kneeling there, this woman kneeling there. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. I'm going to stop right there. It still is traditional in that part of the world, not, not quite to this extent, but it's traditional. When you invite somebody to your home, you meet them at the door, and we do this to a degree. You meet them at the door and say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Now, they're a little bit like the French. They would, they would embrace you, and they would kiss you on both cheeks, and then they would have a servant that was there to wash your feet because you, you, we've heard this before. You know, you're walking around in sandals, your feet are dirty, and it's a sign of hospitality. Wash that person's feet. Have a servant to do it. Um, and then they had oil, and they would anoint your head. Now, that sounds kind of gross, but I don't suppose they had something to wipe it off with, too, but your hair is all messed up, and they put some oil on there. So anointing, is, uh, anointing was a very precious thing. When you anointed someone, it meant, you know, I'm, I'm uh, recognizing them, and I'm, I'm placing my blessings on them. So this guy has invited Jesus, this Pharisee named Simon, has invited Jesus to his place, but he didn't do any of the usual things that you would do to welcome somebody. Does that mean he's not really welcoming Jesus? Why did he ask Jesus to come if he's not going to welcome him? Well, let me ask you a question, a, a different question, sort of. Um, I feel like in this place, when we begin our worship, and then when we present the word, we invite Jesus to be here, don't we? I mean, I don't want to be here if he's not here, okay? I believe that, do you, well, have you ever been in a place where you didn't feel like that was the case? Have you ever been in a church where you, that what, what the people did was very ritualistic? The preacher preached a sermon that may have been straight, straight from scripture but there was no really didn't hold any meaning didn't have any reference to your, to your life and, and today and they sang some pretty pretty uh, hymns straight from the redback hymnal and all that kind of good stuff and you walked out and everybody said well okay let's go eat lunch I've been to a few places like that they were a little bit like the Pharisees house to be honest where people invited Jesus to be there, and maybe Jesus will do something really good while we're here, and we can see it, and we can tell people we've seen it. We saw Jesus do something. But as far as being there to worship him first and foremost, and then if we learn, if we're embraced by Jesus, if we are delighted by what he does for us, that's, that, that can come, and that's great. Um, and I've told this story. I'm going to tell another story, too, about this gentleman who had been invited to go to a church. And he hadn't been in church in quite a while. So this friend of his said, uh, well, come, come next Sunday, and I'll meet you there, and we'll go together. And uh, he 
said, well, what's the church like? He said, oh, oh, I've always belonged there. My mom and daddy went there, and I've always belonged there. I, I know, but what kind of church is it? Well, it's the church of the uh, 7th Street, uh, such and such, uh, something like that. I, I don't know. But that, that's, that's the church. So this guy's kind of in a quandary. He thinks, well, I see people going there, and they seem to be kind of dressed up, but they don't quite know what to wear. So he's walking down the street pondering this, and a gentleman walks up beside him. He says, oh, hi, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. Jesus himself? Yeah. He said, why are you so much in thought? He asked the, the guy. He says, well, I'm going to go to this church with this guy, this friend of mine, and I really don't know what to wear. He said, well, Jesus, what would you wear if he went there? Jesus said, I don't know. I've never been in there. Never been there. Wouldn't that be terrible? So these Pharisees, for whatever reason, have invited Jesus to their place just to see what's going to happen. Not, not in any way to worship Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to the woman then. He says, I tell to the man, he actually says this, uh, if I did not finish it, uh, verse 46 says, You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, Jesus knew how many there were, have been forgiven. Did she ask Jesus to forgive her sins? Not really. But she worshipped him. She knew, she knew he was the only place she could go to for forgiveness. She couldn't go to the temple. There was nobody in her society that was going to help her to find forgiveness. Jesus was the one. She recognized him as the son of God. Only place she could go. So she has shown me much love, but a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. Well, hmm. He didn't show a lot of love to this Pharisee, did he? Kind of makes you wonder how much, how much Jesus had forgiven the Pharisee. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? They still didn't get it. What, this can't be the son of, he says he's the son of God and you know, we invited him here, and he's kind of interesting, and we've heard him preach and all this kind of stuff, but how can he forgive sins? They did not get it. No matter what Jesus did, the, Jesus illustrated that he knew what this woman's sins were. He forgave them. He knew what this guy's thinking. They still didn't get it. Still did not get it. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All right, if you give me the next scripture, Connie. This is in Matthew. This is the same, almost the same account. It's worded a little differently. And in this account, you've heard this. The woman brings in the alabaster box, and she breaks it, and she anoints Jesus with it. She pours it over him. And this is what Jesus has to say. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. All of these events are taking place very close to Jesus' trial, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. It is said 
that when they were preparing his body for burial, that he still had the odor of this perfume in his body. So this immoral woman has been immortalized forever as being one of the people that prepared Jesus' body for burial. Wow. And Jesus makes it a point to spell it out so that it will be documented. You know, it's just not easily forgiven unless you waste your best perfume or whatever it is. But Jesus points out, she has done this to prepare my body for burial. Wow. What a way to be recognized. Okay. Now I'm going to get to the hard part of this message. So what would become of this woman? She just goes away and everything's good? You think so? You know, again, this series is called No Matter What. You know, I've said that. I said that this woman came to see Jesus because he was the only way she was going to get forgiveness for her sins, no matter what. If it meant going through a bunch of stick-in-the-muds that were likely to throw her out, they may have somehow or another brought up charges against her, may have had her jailed. Could have easily done that. Could have easily done that. She was unwanted, undesired there. But she, she was there no matter what. Now, now this, this is the key point I want you all to get out of this. I've talked about how we judge people and how we look at people. What would be necessary, this woman, by asking for her sins to be forgiven, is undoubtedly renouncing her way of life. She's not a harlot. She's not a prostitute anymore. She can't be. She's asked Jesus to forgive all of that. And if she's truly forgiven and truly repentant, she's got to do something else. What is she going to do? It's likely she doesn't have a family that will take her back. Because in that age and time, somebody who chooses that profession and that way of life, the family just writes them off. Go, I mean, they're like lepers. Go outside of the city. We don't want you. You're not part of us. You, your sins, they really believe that, that somebody's sins could be transferred to them. We don't want your sin. I know you say it's been forgiven. We don't want your sin. Does she know any other trade, anything else that she can do? Even if she did, how are people going to receive her? She goes into town the next day. She's got to find something else to wear because she can't dress like that anymore. She's got to find something else to do. She's got to go into town. And, um, I could help you make garments. I could help you make robes. Can, can you give me a job? No, I know where you came from. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Get, get away from me. Well, ma'am, what about you? Can I help you make some bread? Can I? No, 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 no. You're that harlot. I know who you are. The woman, by doing what she did, no matter what, could well have ended up in death. It could have meant her death. What would prevent that from happening? And this is what I hope. I do not know. I do not know. And I will tell you many times, Scripture doesn't reveal these things, but I, but I have hopes for these things. 
I would hope that being as close as all of these events are to Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection, and the formation of the early church, that this woman, because of the notoriety that Jesus gave her, that that early church would take her in. They would take her in. After all, uh, Rahab the harlot, she was spared in Jericho, and apparently she married pretty well because her grandson, Boaz, was a rich man. So somebody showed mercy upon her somewhere along the way. And she's still known as a, as a harlot. I mean, they describe her as Rahab the harlot. But it, but it carried no shame because of what she did. So this lady may have been labeled as immoral, but because of what she did and the graciousness and, the, and everything she did in the presence of Jesus, she, she would have been a famous person if people accepted her. So again, that, that's not necessarily spelled out or talked about in the scriptures, but I want us to understand that this was not an easy thing for this woman, and it may or may not have turned out well. All I can do is pray that the people of the church would do as I hope we would and accept that woman's repentance. So it's not just a matter of the heart of the person repenting. It's not just a matter of Jesus accepting them and forgiving their sins. We got a big part in it too. We're not, we're not just here to occupy the chairs. We're not just here to sing praises to Jesus for our benefit, for our family's benefit. Jesus will love us and Jesus will bless us. We're to bless others even those that are immoral, like I was saying. All right, let me say a prayer for you. Lord, I pray that uh, this word would uh, hold fast in our hearts. I know, Lord, that uh, many times we, we do seek what is best for ourselves. I know, Lord, that uh, you can tenderize our hearts. You can provide that little urge when we need it, when we should reach out to someone, when we should help someone, even if they're not of the character and the look that we think is acceptable. I pray that we would always be open to those who come here, to those who come to seek your word, those that, even those that sometimes don't seem to receive everything that we have for them. We know that the person that comes to the altar receives you may not have heard that message that day for the very first time it could be a series of messages they've heard in their lifetime and now it's taken fruit so I pray that we would be always always sowing seed so that others would be blessed and I pray that in Jesus name Amen